1: Right, Nathan. So I had cause to see you recently, and while I was at your apartment, you gave me some extremely devastating news, some bad news for everyone on the podcast that I think everyone should hear. So let's all get our tissues ready. Let's all grab a loved one. Let's all get our emotional support animals. And Nathan, why don't you tell us how many movies uh, we're going to get thanks to the success of Barbie?
0: Oh, 16,
1: tell. No.
0: I I really had no idea where you were going with that, because I couldn't remember what I had told you, or why would it cost... Yeah, I I think the ones that are, like, further along, there's a Daniel Kaluuya, A24-style Barney the Dinosaur movie that they're making. Or someone's wow, making those,
1: those words do not belong in such close proximity with each other.
0: Yeah, and then I think they've got like a Polly Pocket movie lined up, Hot Wheels. Um, It's a whole. It's a lot. It, it's sixteen. I can't remember the full list because I just saw the headline and was like, "That is at- atrocious. That's a." a Disgusting waste of everyone's time, but yeah, sixteen Mattel uh, toy toy verse movies. I don't know what they're calling doll verse,
1: the DCU doll Cinematic Universe. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's abominable. Um, I have made the UN aware of this gross human rights violation, so hopefully they'll get a uh, a prosecutor on that. Uh, forthwith, uh, forthrightly, or post-haste, or whatever. That's terrible, that's awful, um, nobody wants that, it's going to crash and burn, lots of people will lose money and lose their jobs, and it's all going to be, it's all going, it, it'll it be in a section labeled tragedies in our history books uh, a, few, a few years from now. Good grief. Yeah, that's the most important piece of news, that's the most important thing happening in the world right now, I think, uh, pretty much. I can't think of anything else. So, Nathan, do you have any anything you'd like to bring to the attention of the listening audience? Not really. I'm kind of... I'm.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're getting more delays. I already told you before we started recording that Beyond the Spider-Verse, the sequel to Across the Spider-Verse has been delayed. But I predicted it was going to get delayed, like... The week I saw it, I'm pretty sure I told you that there was no, they didn't have a prayer of meeting the release date they had set. So, yeah. Otherwise, not a lot of excitement in the in the movie u- universe, the movie world. So I, I say let's let's jump in to this episode. I'm excited to see how angry you get here. Uh, we're doing our least favorite movies of all time. So I guess just for me, we're choosing the title least favorite. These are not the worst movies, or at least only one of them is like the worst movie I've ever seen. The other ones are just, I think, examples of types of movies I really dislike. So these are all movies that, made me very upset. I I'm, I'm assuming it's a similar you used a similar sort of strategy when you put together your list
1: uh for this episode, right Elliot? Yeah, these are these are just movies that we dislike that provoke the most anger or sadness or existential crises in us. They don't necess- they they aren't necessarily even poorly rated. Two oh no, three of mine Are very highly rated on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, The one, so uh, we'll spoil this a little bit. We share a least favorite movie, and it's like, it's got like a 93% or something on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I've all, I included that in my, when I blew the whistle on Mattel's uh, thing to the UN, I included that this movie we're gonna talk about is very highly rated on Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes. So hopefully the UN can divert some resources to that pressing issue as well.
0: Yeah. So this this might be a a controversial episode because I've also got some movies on my list that are enjoyed by a large subset of humanity. They're critically acclaimed in some sense. They've been awarded numerous uh, flashy statues and such. And now we're gonna diss them. We're gonna we're not gonna be silenced. We're gonna speak our mind. We're gonna speak some truth. Truth you to know? power. We're gonna speak speak some truth to power. Yeah, here in this episode. So let let's start with the one we share. Elliot, um, yeah, what's what's
1: what's the worst movie you've ever seen? The worst, most unenjoyable, most abusively long, most painfully bad movie I've seen in my entire life that I hope to never see again that I would not wish my upon my worst enemy is Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in America. This movie sucks. This movie is a massive stinker. Every character, I do not exaggerate, when I say every character in this movie is an unlikable, sadistic, sociopathic piece of human sewage whose successes I mourn and whose tragedies I celebrate because they're so flipping unpleasant to watch. That's the word that I most associate with this movie. It is just so unpleasant because you're watching these terrible snot smears do terrible snot smear things to people who don't really deserve it, and then the movie turns around and is like, "Wow, aren't you glad that they're robbing a bank?" Woo! No, I'm not glad. I'm actually pretty, pretty angry about it. So it really I know didn't. I just, I know I just started at an eleven, but <laughs> I really dislike this movie. Uh, I'll, I'll bring it down a little bit. Nathan was doing some gestures because he doesn't want us to speak truth to power. He wants us to kind of, uh, to capitulate to the elites. I I don't share that sentiment, but Nathan, why don't you say what you're going to say?
0: No, I just, I have to mix this episode, so it's a, (laughs) you're going to be all over the place sound-wise. Yeah, I think you, you really put it very well when you said it's just unpleasant. This movie is very highly acclaimed. It's Sergio Leone's final movie before he passed away it's on imdb's top 250 it's on letterbox top 250 i want to say it was on the most recent sight and sound like greatest movies of all time poll i want to say it landed somewhere it but it is just it's a deeply unpleasant movie to watch the characters are unlikable and it doesn't feel like the movie is saying anything of substance about these unlikable characters. It doesn't even really feel like it's critiquing them that much. It feels like it wants you to feel sorry for them, but I don't because they're such horrible, horrible people. And the movie is like four hours long. For as bad as this movie is though, I will say this. I do kind of treasure the experience of watching it with you because I don't think I would have finished watching it if I had been watching it alone. And I want to say, once we hit like the two hour mark and we discovered that there was another disc and like two more hours of movie. The next two hours was just us dissing the movie constantly of like, oh well this wasn't set up and this is stupid and this doesn't make sense and but yeah, it is it is just a, a a horrible misfire on every almost every conceivable way. Nothing in this movie is really saves it. In, in Neil Morricone's score I don't even remember as being that particularly good. So yeah, this movie's a mess. I I hate this movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think that the the root of its downfall is, like you said, the unlikable characters. Because a character doesn't have to be a good person. Yeah, a, a character being a like bad as in an evil person does not necessarily make them not fun to watch or not interesting or anything like that. But these characters are unlikable. I don't like these characters and that is probably the most that of all the sins the writing sins that someone can make when making can commit when making a movies I think that having unlikable characters is the one that you just above all else cannot work around because they having a, ma- a central cast of characters who you do not like and do not like watching means that every single scene, no matter what its other technical merits or writing merits, it's all going to be viewed through the lens of these abominable pieces of trash who you just would really like to not be on the screen anymore. So everything is tainted by their by their vile stench. And uh, I'm glad you brought up our experience with this, because I I distinctly remember about like halfway through, or maybe maybe a little bit before halfway through, there's a shot of Robert De Niro's character. I think he's in like a subway or something, and he's just wandering around, and he walks over to this big mural on the wall. And I, I distinctly remember saying like, wow, this shot is taking a really long time. But communicating nothing and you saying, well, hold on, let's just wait and see if it, like, is brought up again or if it ties into the movie somehow. It never did. Nathan's generally a more forgiving person of movies, I think, than I am. So I had already checked out by that point. But Nathan was – Nathan realized what was going on soon after that. And yeah, we, if we had foodstuffs on us at the time, I think we absolutely would have been flinging them at the screen and booing and jeering and just praying for an end to our suffering.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's very, very concisely put. So that's, that's a good place to start. That's our least favorite movie ever. We hated it. It was awful. Now the rest of these are. Better by comparison, I guess. So I'll go with my second one. And that is the 19, I can't remember the actual year. I want to say it's the 50s. But the American adaptation of Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace, which, if you didn't know, is probably my favorite book of all time. I've seen three different adaptations of it, two of them are quite good. This one is an embarrassing failure on almost every level. It's three and a half hours long, which is not nearly long enough for a book that's 1,200 pages long. So they cut out huge amounts of the story to its own detriment. Uh, Henry Fonda plays the main character, which is a disgusting miscast. I love Henry Fonda, but pierre the main character of war and peace or one of the main characters should really be played by someone with a lot of kind of youthful innocence because he's a very naive kind of stupid clumsy character and henry fonda is none of those things Uh, i swear he he turned 80 when he turned 40 is how i kind of feel about henry fonda he's got a really weathered ancient wisdom which does not lend itself to pierre um the movie feels like it was made really really cheaply like the battle scenes are really lame the ballroom scenes only have like 20 some people in them so they go to this huge dance for the emperor of russia and there's like 30 people there and it looks like really lame it's really pathetic It's a terrible movie. It was so bad. The Russians, the Soviet government bankrolled their most like popular director to make another adaptation of war and peace as a response because they considered this adaptation like an insult to Russian heritage. And I have to, I have to agree. I don't agree with the Soviet government on a lot, but I agree with their assessment of this film It's a horrible travesty. I think it was nominated for, like, Oscars. It it wasn't nominated for Best Picture, but I'm pretty sure the director was up for Best Director. It's, yeah, it's a travesty.
1: Well, there you have it. Nathan agrees with the Soviet Union. So if you ever want to run a smear campaign on him, you could probably just, like, cut out that bit, or cut it out, and then paste it back together so Nathan says, I agree with the Soviet Union. Um, And then you could, like, run, uh, attack ads on him. So Nathan don't run for public office, or if you do make sure to address this, get out ahead of it. I've never seen this. I've never read this book. Uh, Nathan feels very passionately about it. Uh, so I can only assume that he's correct. I, yeah, don't really have much to say here. Let's go Tolstoy, I guess. (laughs) Good, yeah. Let's go Tolstoy. Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and now break the communion that we just shared. Because, Nathan, you made a mistake. You recently brought a movie to my attention that I hadn't thought about in a long time. And that would not have been on this list, but for your reminding me of it. Nathan knows what's happening. Nathan knows what's coming uh so this this list is in no particular order but my second the second one on my list is once upon a time in hollywood no gosh dang it this movie okay so i do not like quentin tarantino i don't really like him as a filmmaker i definitely don't like him as a person i find his persona to be very obnoxious and constantly self-congratulatory and that bleeds through in this movie. This movie is really high on itself. Like, so if you didn't know, it's set in like a slightly tweaked version of reality where uh, Leonardo DiCaprio plays some guy who I can't remember, but he's a big movie star. And he's been Rick in Dalton. What? Rick Dalton? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Rick Dalton. So he he's kind of like the the man out of time, or he's not he's not a time traveler, but he's the one who's changing the flow of events and um, being in movies that other people were supposed to be in, stuff like that. Um, uh, it's it's it takes place kind of parallel to the Manson murders, um, which I'm sure I don't need to explain what that is to you. But anyway, uh, spoiler alert. Give a minute for people to skip ahead if they don't want it to be spoiled. This time, the biggest change that this makes is that Sharon, oh gosh, it's not Sharon Stone. What's her name? Tate. Sharon Tate is not murdered by uh, Manson, well, Manson's family. Uh, it, it all culminates in this ridiculous, overblown <laughs> fight between Rick Dalton and his buddy. Uh, and booth Whatever. Stop interrupting. Um, And the, the people, I can't remember their names. Charlie Manson's cultists. Fine. Whatever. The problem is that this movie is A, abusively long, B, abusively boring, and C, it really, it's really, it's only thing... The only thing that it seems to think qualifies it for being a movie is the... It, it's basically the meme, you know? The Oh, I said, you know. Dang it. Look at what you've made me do once upon a time in Hollywood. Uh, Nathan once showed me a meme of Leonardo DiCaprio's character pointing at the screen. Uh, I think the idea is that it's supposed to denote when people call things out, call attention to things that they recognize and then they're like, wow, I recognize that thing and that's pretty much this movie, it's like wow, Leonardo DiCaprio in The Great Escape, wow! And wow, there's there's uh, Brad Pitt taught on the compound where Charlie Manson ran his thing, whoopee! The problem is nobody cares because it's it's all just excruciatingly drawn out. Like there's a shot of Brad Pitt just walking across the compound and it lasts five years. This movie took five years from me. How can I forgive it for I could have spent those years like bettering myself or learning a new hobby or getting closer with God or something. But no, I had to spend five years watching Brad Pitt walk across a compound because Quentin Tarantino is too up his own butt to let somebody say, huh, maybe we should trim this a little bit. I've always found Tarantino's movies to be very indulgent, like conversations and scenes just last way too long. And It just bleeds through the idea that it's just because Tarantino really likes the sound of his own writing. He just can't control himself. And it's so much worse here because it's all spent on time, on stuff that doesn't even matter. Like there's this really long scene of just them shooting a scene of Rick Dalton's show and it doesn't matter. Like it goes nowhere and eventually... The idea is that he's back or something, like he's back in his element, except you could communicate that without taking another two years off my life. So for the, everyone keeping track at home, that's seven years this movie has robbed from me. And... The stuff with Sharon Tate is just ridiculous. Like, it just lasts for so long. And the only reason it's there is so that Quentin Tarantino can have Margot Robbie put her feet in the middle of the scene. That's fantastic, Quentin. I hope you're proud. I hope you're happy. I'm not. This movie is so boring. It's so long. It's so impressed with itself that by the time it was over, I was very upset with Nathan for having having made me spend... Over half a decade watching a movie that is this poor, that has this little to say, that is this indulgent and boring and good lord. It's it's just terrible. It's a it's it's a true, truly nightmarish experience. <laughs> oh my goodness.
0: Wow, this is our controversy episode. Holy nuggets. Cause that there was a lot of takes in there. I just want to say, first of all, Margot Robbie is the one who made the choice for Sharon to put her feet up in the theater, in the shot that you're uh-huh. so- speaking about. That's what she said in an interview. I don't want to get too bogged down. This is my probably my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. I think it is very interesting and is about something very compelling. It was one of the most fun theater experiences I had, and I was genuinely really bummed when I showed it to you because I thought it was so interesting and so fun and then I I forced you to watch it. And you were just so grumpy the entire time. And you started complaining. I think when Cliff goes to the Manson family house that you started complaining about stuff. And I was like, whoa, I don't think Elliot's enjoyed this as much as me. <laughs> so it's always unfortunate when someone doesn't like a movie you like. I love that movie. Maybe someday we'll do... Actually, I don't think we'll ever do a podcast on it. So you just have to ask me in person why I like this and I'll explain more. <laughs> but going off of that, let's get to mine. My next my next one, I have seen every best picture winner in Oscar's history. Let me just pat myself. Speaking of self-indulgence, yeah. let me just <laughs> bring up bring up some of my movie credibility. But it was a pretty fun time. There was more than a few movies that I wouldn't have watched otherwise that I greatly enjoyed, that I discovered through this process. But there were a few stinkers. So I I had to put my least favorite Oscars Best Picture winner on here. And this shouldn't come as much of a surprise if you know much about the Oscars Best Pictures. My least favorite is Crash, which defeated, very famously beat... Ang Lee's Brokeback Mountain in, I think, like 2003, 2002, something like that. But yeah, everything that has been said about Crash is so true. It is the epitome of clueless Hollywood, like racial politics and trying to say something deep about society and just failing because it doesn't feel like anyone in this movie has ever interacted with a person that didn't live in a $2 million home. This movie is the most tone-deaf, stupid, piece of garbage, piece of artsy, filler nonsense that you could ever see. It opens with the line, maybe we crash into each other just to feel something, which is already like mind-bogglingly pretentious. And... Yeah, the movie is just awful. It feels like it was written with bad libs, that it was... Because it it follows like eight or so characters, and they're right kind of converging and diverging stories. So think like Magnolia or Nashville, or um, I can't think of a less pretentious example. (laughs) Think a movie like that. But it's just... It feels like it's just random, that it's like, oh, what if this Arabian man was helping this Mexican man and then like was angry about a door. It just, it feels so random. The final message of the movie seems to be, I guess sometimes we're racist and then just like a shrug. Like it doesn't even say anything about racism. It just said it's, it's like the meme of a guy where he's just like, dang, just found out about racism. That sucks, bro. This is terrible. That's this movie. This movie is like, dude, People be racist. And, but with no, like, there's no deep or anything. The acting is terrible. The music is terrible. And it, this is a horrible, horrible movie. And the fact that it won Best Picture is really a travesty.
1: I, uh, yeah, I watched, I saw like a snippet of that when you were watching it. And then I think I saw the end. I think someone might have died. I can't really remember. I just yeah. remember it ending with some like a fender bender and yep. a woman yelling at some Asian people and being racist. Uh, it didn't seem like, yeah, I can't judge it from that, from such small snippets. Like obviously it, I didn't see 10 seconds of it. And it was like, wow, that was the worst 10 seconds of my life. But I'm assuming that Nathan is correct here. <coughs> Excuse me. It's not a movie that I'm planning on watching. Um, so yeah, that's all That's all fine and dandy. My next one is going to be a movie that Nathan also has not seen, and that's Halloween Kills. So this movie is everything that Halloween, the, for, the one preceding it, was not. This movie is stupid, it's overlong, it's indulgent, uh, <clears throat> it makes... I know I already said stupid, but it just makes such precious little sense. It is all over the place in terms of what Michael Myers is and what he can and cannot do. It's just aggravating, this movie. Um, I saw it in theaters because I really liked Halloween uh, 2018. So... And I've I've sp- I've talked about this before actually about Halloween 2018 and how I feel like it's a great example of how a movie's most cathartic payoffs are defined by the restraint it shows in comparison. That contrasting payoffs and setup goes a long way towards enhancing the impact of when you really go for it. Like I know a certain subset of horror fans, I believe they call themselves like gore hounds. um, Didn't really like Halloween 2018 because they, I guess because it wasn't violent enough for them. And I I make no judgments about that. Like if that's your thing, okay then. Um, But for me, I really liked the restraint that it showed because it meant that in the moments when it did really go all out and when things did get a little bit more violent and Michael Myers was a little bit more intimidating. It made them so much more impactful, right? Because if you just, if you just start at 11, like I did on the, in this episode, then the moments where you're at like a six or a, or a seven, a just feel really stupid. Like they probably do feel listening to this episode and B it makes it, it, if you, always if you start at 11 and stay at 11 then there's really nowhere for you to go and it all just feels kind of samey and bland and that's the problem well that's one of the many problems with halloween kills is that it is so much more violent and graphic and it just comes off across as like really like really try hard really desperate like they just there's no there's no setup. Oh, excuse me. There's no setup to any of it. So it just doesn't it just has no impact because I'm like, yeah, that guy's head is off now, but I've seen all kinds of stuff like that in the last hour. So this does nothing for me. And also, it's just dumb. Like Michael Myers I don't even know. The the film David Gordon Green, the director, said that he didn't want my, he he thought that Michael Myers wasn't supernatural that he was capable of doing spectacular things but impossible things. Having seen this movie, I can safely say that David Gordon Green either has a much low higher stand or a much different standard from me as to what is spectacular and what is impossible or he just doesn't understand the movie he's made because it's not spectacular for michael myers who in this timeline is supposed to be pushing 60 years old to take the kind of physical abuse that he does and still mow through entire groups of heavily armed people like he's a slow-moving terminator that's not spectacular that's impossible and Gosh, I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis is barely in it. She spends most of the movie in a hospital room. So it's mostly about just a bunch of essentially a lynch mob or not really a lynch mob, a posse of people running around doing stupid things, trying to kill Michael Myers. And the way that the filmmakers get him out of these situations is either he does something impossible or the townspeople are just incompetent like they have him right where they want him he's on the ground and instead of like getting a shotgun and double tapping him or parking a semi-truck on his face they just lean down and really slowly with trembling hands reach for his mask and they're like oh this is it we've got him now Almost there. Just a few more inches. I can feel the hair of his mask. I'm wrapping my fingers. Oh, no, he's still alive and he's killed me. How did this happen? No! <laughs> it happens so often, and it's just dumb. And, yeah, it's also trying to make some really convoluted point about mob mentalities and how, how I guess... Movements against evil can tend to target the wrong people. It makes this point through the addition of a different character who's also like an escaped mental patient, but the people think that he's actually Michael Myers. And it's so stupid because (laughs) there are pictures of Michael Myers on the news like we this is established very early on and this guy that they're that is supposed to be being mistaken for Michael Myers who's like six feet tall and built like a brick wall this guy is like five foot four and he's a dumpy old guy with who's going bald and I'm supposed to believe that they think that he's actually Michael Myers why? He doesn't even have the mask or anything, but like, why do they think that Michael Myers is a basically built like a middle-aged dad and B still running around in his whites, like not wearing his mask or anything. It's just, it's stupid. The whole thing is stupid. I saw it with my father and the first thing I said to him after the credits rolled was I was like, that was just dumb. That was just so dumb. And yeah. Yeah. As with all things, when a movie is when a bad movie is too long, the length just really drives home how bad it is. That's one of I think that might be one of the principal reasons for why we hate Once Upon a Time in America so much, is because every second is just more time that you have to spend thinking about how bad this how bad this all is, rather than just having just getting in and out really quickly and leaving you with the faint suggestion that what you've seen is actually pretty bad. But this movie does not do that. It spends a really long time showing you a bunch of stupid things and it's just a bunch of it's just a bloody, violent chaos that does nothing for no one because there's nowhere for them there for them to go because they start at 10. So there's no buildup in anything that's happening. And yeah, it, the ending is just preposterous Uh, and the way that michael myers is always escaping it just makes it does my head in i'm i'm rubbing my forehead you can't see it but i'm rubbing my forehead which is what i do when i'm irritated and tired and that's 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 how this movie makes me feel i know that that's really rambly and chaotic and i went and i was all over the place but yeah i it was
0: (laughs) uh yeah like Elliot said, I have not seen this movie and that was a choice because I went to the newest, the Halloween 2018 with our father and I enjoyed it a fair amount. And then I, wa- I had already seen or I watched shortly after the original Halloween. And then when the trailer for Halloween Kills came out, I think I called dad or I was talking to Elliot. Some I was doing something that I was interacting with one of you. And I said, I'm not going that trailer looked terrible. Like that trailer looked stupid. I didn't understand why they were doing it like the same night. That didn't make any sense to me. That did not seem like the right call to have it be like a immediate sequel to the, the 2018 one. And then every like successive trailer just more and more drove home the point that this looked really dumb and that they were very quickly falling into the same things that everyone had criticized all of the already existing Halloween sequels for, for being like getting sillier and sillier and getting just stupider and stupider. So yeah, I said I was never going to see it. I didn't. The reviews were terrible. I was justified in not seeing
1: it. Yeah, and then Halloween Ends was like 2% better. So (laughs) that's the only reason Halloween Ends isn't on this list and Halloween Kills is. It's because Halloween Ends isn't quite as long, I think. Well,
0: this is going to be a bit of a throwing... I'm kind of cheating here. I'm going to put two movies in one place because my criticism is cheating. I can do what I want. Okay. This is the episode where we're speaking truth to power. So (laughs) sometimes you have to bend the rules a bit. Um, I'm going to put two movies here because my, I feel the same way about both of them. And my criticisms of one are the same criticisms I have of the other. So this is going to be the Coen brothers, Barton Fink, and Denis Villeneuve's Enemy. And both of these movies are short. Elliot was just talking about how much we hate long movies. For how short these movies are, it's amazing how frustrating and boring they can be. Enemy is about a guy who discovers like, his doppelganger lives in the same city as him. And then Barton Fink is about a writer who... Moves to California to write a screenplay, I guess, and then experiences some like writer's block. But both of these movies are just painfully pretentious. And I mean, I think people sometimes overuse the word pretentious when they really just mean like pointlessly artistic. But I I really think these movies are pretentious in the way they seem to think they're about something but i really don't believe the writers of these movies had any concrete meaning in their mind when they wrote it and you can even see interviews with the cohens where they say that they wrote Barton Fink like in between writing Fargo or something they, they were like whenever they had writers block they would go out and just randomly write a scene for Barton Fink and So Barton Fink is so stupid. It's terrible. It makes no sense. It's artsy for just like artsy, Bartsy pointlessness. And it won the Palme d'Or, which is one of the most like meaningful awards a movie can win. It's the highest award at the uh, Cannes Film Festival. But I mean, this is just so wildly pretentious and stupid and it's terrible and it's not even funny, which some of the Coen Brothers movies are. And then Enemy, I think is probably worse, but it's shorter. So it's slightly more like palatable, but it's the same issue that it seems like it's trying to say something, but I really don't think there's any meaningful message behind what is happening. And it, doesn't it's it it doesn't evoke any emotion in me besides frustration. It looks terrible. There's like a weird orange filter over most of it. There's a lot of pointless, like vision-y things. It feels like a really terrible David Lynch movie. And, and yeah, just both of these movies are really pretentious, awful, artsy-fartsy messes that I cannot stand. And you might think, wow, Nathan, you're a pretentious, artsy-fartsy piece of nonsense. And that should just speak to how stupid and pretentious these movies are, that they were too pretentious even for me. So, yeah, these movies are terrible.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that those movies are definitely the worst offering from their respective directors. I probably disliked... Oh, I don't know. I probably disliked Enemy more than because i feel like there was more there was a lot more potential in the idea of enemy i feel like there were a lot of really cool interesting ways you could take just the simple concept the simple conceit of a man discovers his doppelganger um but they they don't go anywhere with that and they decide to instead just show you a series of increasingly bizarre spiders in places where spiders aren't supposed to be and sizes that spiders are not supposed to exist at that that's fun i guess um, except those shots uh, last, like, 10 seconds altogether, and there's about a hundred other minutes of non-spider stuff that you have to get through to get to these nonsensical shots of spider things that are actually supposed to mean something. Um, so yeah, I think that I'm more frustrated by enemies wasting its concept. Um, I also think that Barton Fink is pretty bad. It's, de- it's absolutely the worst offering from the Coens. There's nothing really redeeming about it. I just... I guess I just don't find it like as bad as Enemy. Um, And it also, it was kind of a weird idea to begin with. So there was less wasted potential there. But yeah, I agree. Um, My next offering is very much in the vein of Enemy and Barton Fink because it's, I'm thinking of ending things. Now I hate surrealism and I hate postmodernism, which means that Charlie Kaufman and I are a pretty bad fit because he is like the poster child for surreal postmodern stories. Uh so he's made one good movie and that's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and I think that that was an accident or something because the other two movies of his I've seen, Being John Malkovich and I'm Thinking of Ending Things are both terrible. So yeah, this movie is this movie is just ridiculous. Like it is so The way I've been thinking about it lately, because I've been thinking about what I want to say about these movies and why I dislike them so much, is, you know how the problem with... I'm not going to count that as a you know, by the way. The problem with Fast and Furious movies is that because they're constantly surviving all these unsurvivable things, there's never any stakes in any of the action. Because you're like, why would I be worried that... um, Dominic Toretto is going to be shot when he can survive like jumping out of a car at 400 miles an hour and slamming into another one that's supposed to like, I don't know, cushion his fall or something. And I think that I'm thinking of ending things kind of falls victim to a similar trap where it's like, why should I be interested in these idiots talking about feminist philosophy in the car when... Nothing that I've seen so far matters. Like nothing matters. To call this movie disjointed would to be to trade in gross comedic understatement. This movie's scenes are like a bunch of train cars that are made out of completely different materials that showcase different things that are that come in completely different shapes and sizes and are literally, only connected by the fact that they happen to be in a sequence with each other. That's how disjointed this movie is because bizarre, unexplainable things are just always happening. And it doesn't help that the reactions to them are just like bemused skepticism. Like she's like, huh, this laundry machine is doing something strange. How curious or huh? These people at this frozen stand in the middle of flipping nowhere are a bit strange how 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 curious how 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 odd how unorthodox and so you're like why should i care about any of this if none of it matters none of it affects anything else none of it impacts the rest of the story or the rest of the movie's themes which don't even exist because the movie is constantly jumping around like it's like a five-year-old high on sugar running between museum exhibits being like, oh, look at this. Now look at this. Now look at this. Now look at this. Except I don't care about any of that because none of it makes any sense. And they're not trying to... And nobody seems to acknowledge that it doesn't make any sense. Like, at least in Barton Fink, he seems to realize that the hotel catching on fire out of nowhere is a bit odd. But the people in this movie, Jesse Buckley and... Uh, Whatever his name is, I've completely forgotten because I'm so upset. Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons are just like, huh, weird. And so the the effect of all this is that it's just surrealism for surrealism's sake. Like, I don't care about any of this because none of it means anything because none of it relates to anything. So, I was just so frustrated with this movie. It was so indulgent, so pretentious, so completely wrong about everything it was trying to say because, or wrong that it thought that it was trying to say something meaningful because it wasn't saying anything at all. It was just, it was basically a word salad of pseudo philosophical nonsense. That's how I, that's the box quote for this movie (laughs) if if for some reason they wanted to put a negative quote for me on the box it would be two hours of of a pseudo philosophical word salad and yeah it's terrible performances are just really bad are really bad because again everyone just has the same gormless bemused expression on their face as they are taken on this tour of total chaos and uh, unrelated madness so there's you can't even take refuge in a, in good actors because the actors in this are good, but the material they're being given just does nothing with them because it means nothing. It is nothing. This movie is nothing, and this movie sucks. That's it.
0: Oh, you're so over the top all the time. I feel like. Yeah, I guess I'm probably a bigger fan of Charlie Kaufman than you are. I don't I like I don't love being John Malkovich but I think it's kind of funny and I think probably Charlie Kaufman my favorite thing that Charlie Kaufman has done is he wrote a book and the book is pretty good and I think has a lot of really good funny ideas in it I don't love this movie I don't hate it as much as you because I do think it does a pretty good job of creating a very specific feeling in me at least I clearly it did not create a very good feeling in you, but I felt like it did kind of communicate a certain idea of kind of regret and kind of that regret where that regret leads. If it festers for a really, really, really long time, I do think it's kind of disjointed. It's weird. There's kind of a protagonist switch halfway through. I feel like I would have to rewatch it in order to really, like get a more complete idea of the movie, but I also don't really want to rewatch it because I didn't like it enough to want to rewatch it. I also think this movie has an incredibly high barrier of entry because there's multiple times where they reference incredibly niche things. I mean, the ending is an extended Oklahoma and Ron Howard's a beautiful mind reference which are weird and silly things to reference. And I feel like you need knowledge of both of those things in order to understand the ending, which I think is maybe a bit more than we should be like trusting the audience to know, but whatever.
1: Okay. Well, just Um, for the record, I do know uh, a beautiful mind and I do know Oklahoma and this ending is still complete nonsense. Well,
0: there's other stuff like there's a part where they start reciting a like New Yorker review of a woman under the influence. Which Elliot, are you a big
1: John Cassavetes fan? No, and even if I was, that wouldn't do anything because, like, if they quote, if they read past, I'm reading Moby Dick right now, and I'm really enjoying it. But if they, if I'm, I watched a movie and they just started reading from Moby Dick, I would be like, huh? Instead of like what. Oh.
0: Yeah. Well, whatever, whatever.
1: So, I don't dislike
0: it as much as you. I do agree with some of your points. My final one, and I don't, you know, Elliot at the beginning of the high school musical episode said that right, you are allowed to like whatever you like and us saying that we dislike something that you like should not, you know, I don't think anyone should ever feel bad for liking for enjoying a piece of media that they enjoy. I we are given we aren't given a huge number of things to feel happiness about. So if a piece of entertainment makes you happy, it's horrible if someone then takes that happiness away from you. But when I was in high school, I was forced to watch all 5 of the Twilight movies and it was one of the worst Movie watching experiences I've ever had. I hate these movies. I don't think they were really made for me. I think they were clearly made for pre teen adolescent girls, which I am not. But I think even beyond that, these movies, and I'm lumping all of them together because they're very, they're practically indistinguishable in quality. They are terrible. They are poorly acted, not because they have bad actors, but because the direction in the acting is just way awful. Kristen Stewart doesn't react like a human being should to anything. And Robert Pattinson has no charisma or charm in this movie, which is impressive because he does have quite a bit of charm and charisma in real life. But these movies, they look terrible, I don't understand why they're shot the way they do. They have so many Dutch angles. These movies were probably where I got my hatred of Dutch angles because just every other shot was a pointless, stupid, meaningless Dutch angle that signified nothing and was just like edgy and quirky to be edgy and quirky, which is so much of this movie. I I feel like it has really bad messaging that Bella really needs therapy more than she needs anything, like, then she needs to decide if she's on Team Edward or Team Jacob. She needs to be on Team Therapy, okay? That's what she needs. There's, you know, a lot of the side characters are annoying. The villains are stupid. The, I love vampires. I'm kind of a big vampire fan. I think they're one of the coolest movie monsters you can use, and the vampires in this suck. They're stupid. They're lame. Their powers look lame. The werewolves are pretty dumb, too. They look marginally better. The CGI baby in the last one looks terrible. The last one's probably the worst one because the CGI is awful. It looks stupid. And the final battle is such a brainless kind of gag. It's such an unfulfilling ending to a series I was already not very fulfilled with. <laughs> But these, these movies are just really bad. I think the only way you can really enjoy them now is if you did watch them as a kid and you really enjoyed them. And now you just go back and you're like, wow, it's kind of bad, but in a campy, fun way. And I cannot watch it like that. It's just bad in a bad way. And so I, I cannot stand these movies. I had some friends who recently like watched through all five and they like invited me And I was like, I'm not, I can't even ironically subject myself to watching these movies again because they irritate me so much. And I feel like they have so many problematic and sketchy ideas and messages in it. The one kind of redeeming thing, Bella's dad is kind of a goaded young adult dad he does a great job everything he tells bella is straight up facts he's constantly like hey maybe you should stop fretting about this doofus guy who sucks and should like focus on yourself he says a lot of things that are very good advice that bella never listens to so the dad's great everything else terrible
1: yep never seen him never will um (laughs) My, my, my last one is one that is, again, pretty well-liked. It comes from one of the most dominant cultural forces in our time, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I had kind of checked out of superhero movies already by the time I saw this, but this definitely didn't help. Um, it's Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, so that's the second one in the MCU Spider-Man trilogy. And I have never had my intelligence be so insulted by a movie. Like, this movie does not... This movie actively hates you and hates your intelligence because it makes such paltry, pathetic efforts to explain the nonsense that it is showing you that the only explanation can be... for the audience. That's an exaggeration. That's a com- comedic o- exaggeration, obviously. But this movie is deeply stupid. So I'm just going to go ahead and spoil it because I'm assuming you've already seen it. And if you haven't, you're probably never going to. But the whole idea... So problem one begins very fast because the whole idea, the whole movie revolves around a MacGuffin that Tony Stark gives uh, or bequeaths to... Peter Parker in his will or something. It's a pair of glasses that controls access to a network of drones that he's made that can do all kinds of things. So let's just reevaluate what's happened in more comprehensive terms. Tony Stark has just given to a high schooler a device that has access to a network of globe-encompassing drones capable of eliminating anyone and everyone at a moment's notice. These drones, like, there's there's a scene that's supposed to be a bit of a comedic pratfall where Peter Parker accidentally asks a drone to kill Flash Thompson. And it immediately does. And so while everyone else in the theater was laughing and having fun, I was like, wait a minute. So these drones... Not only have full ca- kill capabilities, but they also can find and recognize anyone on Earth at any point in time, which is basically like what Big Brother from 1984 dreams about when he's asked to, when they're asked to picture their ideal world. Like that is so Orwellian! And First of all, we're supposed to believe that Tony Stark is still a good guy, despite having built this weapon of mass destruction and surveillance unilaterally. Like, I'm pretty sure that's probably illegal and definitely immoral. But he's also given it to a high schooler. Why? Why did he think that was a good idea? And then, so throughout the movie, they're fighting these, like, elemental things, just monsters made out of elements. And we eventually learned they're not monsters, they're projections made by a bunch of drones. And I was like, how? How did nobody see, like, because they're projections, the only thing that is tangible within them is the drones. So presumably, they would be constantly like, like avatars in a poorly made video game clipping through environments or touching things that they're not supposed to be able to touch or not touching things that they should be able to touch. And there, are also also the problem is that because they're elemental beasts. So like they're made of water or fire or stuff. They're supposed to be constantly like letting off a bunch of incidental fire or water or stuff. And like, there's not enough drones to make that realistically happen. Like what should be happening, but what doesn't happen because the filmmakers are cheating and actually treating them like they are what they say they are rather than a bunch of drones. But what should be happening with the water one is it should be rolling across different surfaces and not getting it wet enough. Like I know the drones can have little water jets, but that is not enough to replicate how much water a 50-foot monster made of the stuff should be spraying at all times and on all surfaces. Like, you you should be able to take one look at that and say, something's not right here. Like, that thing is... that that's wrong. And, yeah, and the villain's ultimate plan just comes from yet another thing where Tony Stark screwed someone over and now they're mad and they want to destroy the world... And I'm so tired of that motivation for these villains, especially in Spider-Man movies. Like, I don't care about Tony Stark and I don't care about his stupid past where he keeps on doing these terrible things despite allegedly going on this massive multi-movie redemption arc. But that's a rant for another time. And yeah, the, the, the movie just is insultingly dumb. This movie is dumb and I hated it.
0: Wow, I think I think you're probably right, but I didn't notice a lot of these issues when I saw. I've never rewatched this, and I probably never will because it's easily my least favorite of the MCU Spider Man movies. But that makes sense. This is this is our controversy episode, though. Jeepers, you're coming at everyone, Marvel, Quentin, Sergio Leone fans. <laughs> To Charlie Kaufman to fan. Power. Yep. our truth, our truth to power episode. Well, that's uh, that's all I had. I'm assuming you don't have another one.
1: Nope all I have all I have left is that life is hard and full of disappointments. Good deal. Good deal. Well, next,
0: you know, this was fun. Next week we'll be back with a regular movie of probably some old thing that no one's seen we'll get back we'll get back on that grind that classic movie grind so we hope you have a great week and then catch another episode next week